This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Hello and welcome to another special episode of the Sky Blues Extra podcast, which is kindly sponsored by Shortland Horn, Coventry's leading estate agents. My name's Tom Ward and I'm joined this evening by David. Evening, Tom. Evening, Dave. And I'm pleased to say we're also joined by a very special guest. Our guest this evening started his career at Crystal Palace, where he made over 200 appearances. He joined up with the Sky Blues in 1995 and he was a key player over three seasons before moving on to play for Fulham, Charlton, Reading and Brentford. I'm, of course, talking about John Salako. Evening, John, and thanks a lot for joining us on the show. Evening, guys. No, absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's good to have you on. Um, I guess, first question, how are you coping with lockdown? Do you know what? The first lockdown was absolutely brilliant in a sense where, you know, it came, we dealt with it, the weather was nice, um, we embraced it and we just try to get on with it and then obviously the second one was a bit of a was a knock but this third one is just been a real uh it's been a bit hellish I think mm. especially in the winter it it's just I think everyone struggled with it and I think I was just looking forward to the world starting up again and really tearing into 2021 and and really getting going again and start living life so it has been tough but you just got to dig in and I think for most people look you got to exercise um, you've got to get out there, walk the dog, keep busy, work, work as best as you can. Um, yeah. Keep yourself, you know, I think for, for whatever you do, um, you can either do something different or work differently with, with the way you work. Uh, a lot of people have adapted to working at home. Yeah. Um, and we're all just really counting the days down to the world starting again. I mean, it's been unprecedented uh, having this pandemic and it's just been absolutely mind blowing uh, the amount of people who've died. Uh, yeah, I think yeah, we've got to exactly. take it seriously. We've got to get this vaccine done as quickly as possible, roll it out, get it. I can't understand why people are not having it. Mm. 
And do you know what? It's going to become part of the norm going forward. So look, let's let's embrace it and do do what we can. And it is absolutely true. I think everyone's just got to play their part because do you know what? I've seen so much of people not really following and, and, and really doing what they want, which has been a bit tragic for me. But overall, I think, you know, the NHS have been magnificent. You know, showing back Captain Tom, he was, he was mm-hmm. the, the uh, icon of, uh, you know, this, this COVID lockdown. But um, yeah, I wish everyone well and just stay safe. And hopefully we will come through this really soon and we can enjoy the world getting back to normal in the summer and we'll all be... We, we won't remember this in a couple of years' time. Won't hopefully, yeah. It'll be a distant memory. Hopefully, yeah, and uh, hopefully we'll be back at the football in August. I think that's what a lot of our uh, our listeners will be will be hoping for, John. Um, what we like to do on the podcast is kind of go right back to the beginning um, and sort of learn a bit more about you and, I guess, a bit about your, your upbringing. Yeah. Um, do you know what? Really, my story is a little bit crazy in a sense where my mum, my dad did his, his, his bachelor's in America, came to do his master's in England. Um, Nigerian guy, met my white mum, took her and they got married and had five children. And then in 1974, he died in a car accident. Um, and in 79, she brought us back to England. And, you know, so my first real memories, I, you know, playing under 10s, under 11s football uh, for Western Reds. We lived in a little village in Kent called Westrum. It's, it's actually where Sir Winston Churchill's from. Um, he has Chartwell there where he um, obviously led us to through through the Second World War. Um, he's still there in Hever Castle. So it's a lovely part of the country, beautiful place. Um, I scored in Seven Oaks. That It's quite a sporty school. Uh, played football and... You know, I was very lucky, you know, uh, Palace, um, my under-14s coach, uh, sorry, the under-15s coach came to me. I was an under-14s. He said, look, you're way too good for the under-14s. Why don't you come and play for the under-15s? Came to play for the under-15s, still scoring goals, doing well. And it's a, you know, brilliant guy called John Mitchell. Um, and he he wrote off to Palace. And he said, look, I've got a lad here that I think you should come and have a look at. And Amazingly, they sent a scout down, Gilbert Honey-Jones. He came down. He invited me to a trial. Um, at that trial, there was about 40 kids. Amongst those was Richard Shaw. You know, about 10 of us got picked up. We went training. So I was sort of getting from, you know, sort of deep heart of Kent down to Mitcham uh, on a Monday and a Thursday, which was crazy, crazy, crazy. Um, but got that done. And uh, luckily, you know, they signed me as, a, as an apprentice at 16. And that was, um, that was back in, uh, what would that have been? That would have been 96. Mm. Um, yeah, wow. Um, yeah, 96, signed apprentice. And, and then things just really snowballed. I think from their apprentice, signed, you know, pro at 17 and a half, sort of six, you know, sort of, I don't know, 18 months later. So I think Richard Shaw's birthday was in September. So I didn't do a full year. So when they signed Richard as a pro at 18, they signed me, which, which was a momentous occasion really, because it meant I didn't have to do any more duties, which was cleaning people's boots, getting their kit, you know, sort of getting treated like a dog's body. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I go and get my tea and get my coffee. You know, the kids now, it's not good for them. You know, yeah. they just don't get that, that, you know, they don't get that sense of, 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 of progression you know they get that, that you know when you're a kid you need to do those jobs you need to get that respect you need to get 
you know, earn those stripes and, you know, the kids grow up too fast, too much. And, and, and it's not a good thing, but you know, it was great for us. We came through and signed pro and, and sort of made my debut at 17 as well. Yeah, exactly. Just growing up, John, who was the, what teams did you sort of watch? What was you, you know, on, on, on the TV, where you watched a lot of football when you was growing up? Yeah. So growing up, um, you know, for, in Nigeria, early on, it was all the big teams, obviously Liverpool, Man United, Spurs, um, Arsenal, all the, all the big clubs. And, and funny enough, I just, you know, I think my, I have two older brothers and one younger brother. Um, and my two older brothers, one was Liverpool. And one was always Spurs. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but I didn't really have a team to be honest. I just, I just really enjoyed football. I think, you know, I, I took whoever sort of obviously would, would sort of pretend to support Man United or Arsenal or one of the other big sides. But in all honesty, I didn't. Um, but when I came, my first game I ever went to see was at um, Highbury, Arsenal versus Sunderland. And weirdly right. enough, um, the striker for Arsenal was a lad called Alan Sunderland, scored the winning goal 1-0. And it was a school trip. Um, and that was at 14. So everything else I'd ever seen was really on telly, not really support. I had a Liverpool bag and a Liverpool scarf because Liverpool were winning everything. And yeah. I surprised going to school, you just want to be popular and you, you, know, you wanted to fit in. Um, so it's, you know, it, it's sort of crazy in a way. Um, but we never dared to dream. You know, it was the light. It was different then. You know, growing up in a in a village in Kent, you know, we didn't dream. I don't even think we dared to dream we could be footballers, let alone pop stars or actors or, you know, singers. It, it's it's really crazy and and really was. I mean, we you know, I wanted to be a, an RAF pilot or I wanted to be in the army. I wanted to be in the SAS or the or the, or the Paris and um, didn't really know. What, I just loved sport. Played everything for Kent. Football, yeah. rugby, athletics, cricket. <laughs> I, I, you know, I did everything for Ken. I, I was just a sport billy. I just loved it. it. It was my life. You know, in the little village we played, I played for the school on a Saturday morning. I played for the men's, Western men's team on a Saturday afternoon. I played for Western Reds on, on a Sunday. It's, it's the best way though John isn't it sometimes they say that good footballers often come from a, a really you know diverse sporting background at times um, because you, you you know you get more of a rounded I suppose sporting sort of personality um, Do you know, yeah, it's absolutely right I, I, I completely just advise you know I see these kids join at six and eight and you know, parents are asking me, what should I do? I said, go and play all the sport. Go and be a kid. Go and yeah. you do, 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 do gymnastics, do rugby, do basketball, do cricket, you know, do all the disciplines. Go and run around, go and ride your bike, go and be a kid. Go and, go and run and jump. And, you know, we, we used to put jumpers down in, in the park and play, you know, play cricket. You go and, you know, you go and play on the, on, on the, um, on the playground you know, on the roundabout, on the swings, you know, you're jumping, you're running, you're chasing. Go and play Kiss Chase. Kiss Chase, oh, do you know what? I feel like I'm a speech from Kiss Chase. Do you know what? If you were, you know, if you wanted to get a kiss, you had to be quick and you had to turn. It was like catching a chicken, you know, you know, Rocky films where he has to catch it. But I know it sounds stupid, but we played in the playground. You know, yeah. someone, someone brought a ball. We were always playing. We were... We were, you know, and you learn those dynamics, you know, that proprioception that you build and you grow and you, and you know, it, it's crazy. Um, but we were strong 
Um, you, you get strong mentally, you get strong body. You know, the lads are weak now because they're going training to, they don't play with their friends, they don't play sport. They, they yeah. get and cosseted and it creates problems. Um, and certainly, you know, it, it just bodes for the poorer kids to do well. Um, because obviously, again, they've got, a, I rode to school, you know, I rode to seven, eight, so seven, six, seven miles. I rode every day. You know, you rode to and back, then you go and play. I was always playing sport. I don't know what everyone else was doing. Then you play cricket in the summer. And, <laughs> you know, it was crazy. But yeah, you're absolutely right. I think the diversity of playing different sports and and, and doing stuff really, I think, is important. You know, sort of gymnastics and, you know, I've learned that there's so many guys that were strong. It, that core stability and the core strength is important yeah. from gymnastics, which is a shame we don't do that anymore. Because in PE, we used to do that, climbing ropes, jumping on the pummel horse, you know, sort of bouncing around, doing the rings and, and doing all kinds of stuff that just would have done, you know, strengthen the core. Yeah, all sort of body weight stuff, isn't it? Yeah, um, picking up but- stuff all the time. When you when you were sort of breaking through as a as a young footballer, you said there that you had to you know go to Mitcham from from where you were. Was there many players around you in in Kent at that time? Is there anyone breaking through? Anyone that you you know uh, looked up to at all, or was it just uh, you know? It, it seems you need a lot of luck, doesn't it, to sometimes be spotted? Yeah. And, and like you mentioned there about your your uh, under 14s coach. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, I can't, I mean, I'm not going to dwell too much on the politics of it, but, you know, to start off with, actually, I said I did everything for Kent. I didn't. The only thing I didn't do for Kent was football, funny enough. Kent didn't want me. Kent didn't take me. Um, Maybe, you know, I don't know what it was, but let's just leave that alone. (laughs) You know, uh, I thought I was (laughs) the best kid there, but London, London, um, Surrey had the best side at the time. Um, They had loads of Wimbledon players. They had, the crystal but they had loads of players and, and it's weird you and and funny enough I went to play for Surrey I played in a team that you know Vaughan Ryan there was about you know all the lads that played for Surrey went on to play for a professional football club none of the Kent players made it and you know at the time you, you, I just hear stories oh he plays for Chelsea he plays for Tottenham he plays for that you know what it, I wasn't I wasn't even interested I was just like I used to look at them and think wow he plays for Chelsea yeah places like yeah whoa why am i not you know so you know it's kind of crazy so you know that kind of politics and mind games and stuff and do you know what i just i just got my head down and played and i just enjoyed playing and, and luckily it all sort of came together got spotted and and to be honest i think from the from the moment sort of got in and there was there was two or three of us to say like richard shaw who i came through with you know we we kind of stood out and, and we were signed and Mm. You know, we got it and we wanted it, you know, uh, and uh, yeah, it all came together. Yeah, because you're always a very quick player, John. Do you think that was an attribute that sort of made you more attractive and perhaps, I guess, stood you out from from some of the other players? Yeah, do you know what? I mean, I loved athletics. I was always running. I was always, you know, like in rugby, I was a fullback or a winger. Enjoyed fullbacks. I was more involved. Um, but yeah, so, you know, when I came, you know, I used to play centre forward as a kid. And when I've played Southeast counties, you know, up to 18, I played as a striker, you know, you know, I didn't really, you know, as you say, I think I've worked on it sublimely. You know, when I played cricket, I always give everything in the outfield. You'd always run to a ball, you know, I like, I like bowling and uh, you know, you build up that strength and that pace, but it was something that I was gifted with. Yeah. Yeah. And you spent a big part of your career at Palace um so we'll talk a little bit about about your time there um 
I imagine one of the well, well, one of the memories will be the 1990 FA Cup final. It was, I think, it was over two kind of two legs, wasn't it? It went to a replay. Um, that must have been quite strange, sort of playing. I guess playing in two finals. Yeah, the weirdest thing was, do you know what? I mean, that season um, I'd gone on loan to Swansea. Um, and I played in the Cup Winners' Cup because they'd won the Cup Winners' Cup. And, and while I was in Athens playing in the Cup Winners' Cup for Swansea, Palace had got beaten 9-0 by Liverpool. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I got called back. Um, and I think Richard Shaw was at Hull at the time. You know, it's a game. Players should always go out online. If you're not playing, you really go and play men's football. Um, we came back into the team and that, that, you know, we ended up playing. We got to the, to the final uh, FA Cup. And obviously we had that epic. The best game I ever played in was the semi-final against Liverpool, the 4-3. The Again, so Liverpool were cleaning up. They were winning everything in the, in the 80s. It, it, sorry, in, in the late 80s and 90s. They were winning everything. Um, so I, th- I don't know. I think they must have won the title about eight times in the 80s. Um, so that game was the turning point of Liverpool Man United and, and Sir Alex Ferguson, I still speak to him about it because that game, you know, we beat Liverpool in the semi-final and then we played Man United in the final. And, and that Saturday, we were just destined, we felt we were destined to win it. I can remember writing in the morning, we went for a walk and, and someone said to, you know, I can remember we did a few interviews and someone said to Wrighty, Wrighty, are you ready for today? And we just turned around and looked at him and said, I was born for today. <laughs> and, uh, you know... That sounds that, like that, him, right? That was yeah. righty. It was like, yeah, it was like, yeah, come on. We can do this. There was no right to beat Liverpool in the semis. And man, you're looking at Robson, you know, Brian McClare, you know, Wallace, <clears> and <throat> looking at, you know, Pallister and Bruce and Irwin. And you're yeah. thinking, oh, no, you know, what's going You know, we... But we didn't, we didn't care, right? He was the epitome of that, right? He was just like, bring it on, let's do this. And, um, you know, Brighton, you know, Jeff Thomas as well, our captain, and we, we were all sort of basically sort of street kids, uh, you know, gate crashing a, you know, posh, posh party. <laughs> and, and we did our best to do that. And obviously we led with, you know, three, two with six minutes to go. And I can remember, you know, I can remember looking at the clock and, and then obviously Mark Hughes hits it through. Gary O'Reilly's legs goes through Nigel Martin and, and they equalise and and just you know that Saturday was just empty it was hollow it was a really weird feeling yeah. walking off because I just felt it should have finished that day which is uh, penalties and done it done extra time penalties done and um, we had to go back for a replay on the Thursday and I think the magnitude of it hits you and I think for Man United as well you know Sir Alex Ferguson's sort of turning point I think he probably would have been he would have been sacked if he hadn't won that but he won that and never looked back and became the greatest manager ever so talk about destiny um but yeah that Thursday walking past that that cup I could have been as far away from it as as the second round so it was devastating it would have been you know Europe winner's medal I didn't really look at my winner's medal for god knows how many years I think I looked at it the other year he just looked in the safe and it just, it, it, you know, it's as sad as it is, it's just, mm. you want to win. And uh, yeah, you know, at the time you're young, you know, wanted to, 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 to progress. I thought I'd get there, you know, I'd have other chances to win it. And, but um, yeah, good times. And you mentioned Richard Shaw. Um, and of course, you know, he's a, a real firm favourite from for the Sky Blues fans. Just tell us a little bit about Richard and what he was like as a young player with you two, you know, playing together and, and also what he was like off the pitch. Yeah, so it's crazy. Um, so Richard and I signed for Palace at 14, as schoolboys. And, um, 
you know, it turns out that, you know, Richard's dad had died roughly around the, you know, um, the same time as my dad had died. So he was, you know, our, our stories and parts were very similar. Um, sure. You know, and the, the, good, the good thing is that, you know, Richard was a sort of a midfielder defender um, and turned into a fantastic defender. And I was a striker. So, you know, we ended up just bonding and, uh, you know, we were like, you know, sort of twins really. And uh, we grew up and, you know, we had so much to talk to each other about because there was certainly a lot of dark days when you, of you know, felt, were we going to make it? Is this worthwhile? What are we doing? And, you know, get smashed at Spurs 8-10-0 in the reserves and, you know, the, the, the you know, the, you know, the, the pros are kicking lumps out of you in training. Yeah. And everyone's like just mean and nasty and it's ruthless and it's cutthroat and it is everything that, you know, you expect top end sport to be. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of tough times, but, you know, we, we really got on so well and it was a real strength to have each other uh, to bounce off um, and, and work with. And, you know, we shared rooms. I mean, I don't know, God knows. I, I always think one day we should try and count how many rooms we, we, we shared away. You know, it's brilliant. Yeah. And, um, yeah. I mean, it was special times and amazingly, you know, the, the, the years I left in the, um, so I was going to sign for Newcastle and um, that didn't quite work out with Kevin. And I ended up with Ron Atkinson down at uh, Carve and ended up signing. And I didn't really speak to Richard too much. It wasn't a case of like, oh, you must come up and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, then yeah. I found out there was a bit of interest. Uh, but Ron's canny like that. You know, I'm sure, sure Ron would have probably mentioned, oh, what's that Richard Shaw like or blah, blah, blah. And I would have said, oh, yeah, gaffer, go and get him. And um, next minute, Richard turned up and it was brilliant. You know, we're back together. Just the, incredible. And, great. Um, yeah, shared a few more years there. And, um, yeah, the time at Coventry was was great. You know, loved my time at Palace, but it, it was done. I'd had the two knee injuries and the, it was different. We'd had the two, two, you know, we had two teams, the Right and Bright team. And then, obviously, the second team was the Gareth Southgate team. Um, yeah. With Richard Shaw, Chris Coleman, you know, uh, Dean Gordon and and Chris Armstrong, who you know is one of my top you know favorite favorite strikers behind Wrighty. Him and Wrighty yeah. were special. Um, and then went to Kikov. Um, what a brilliant you know brilliant brilliant bunch of guys. Um, You're listening to Sky Blues Extra. Well, before we move on to Coventry, John, I was just going to ask you because making five caps for for England that must have been. You know, uh, you know, to represent your country, that must have been a, a really big achievement for you. Yes, that was a highlight. Um, I always dreamt of, of playing for England, and just try not to to drag it on. But because I was born in Nigeria, my mum was English, and my dad was Nigerian, and and obviously when I came back to England, you sort of qualified for Scotland, Wales, and England. Yeah. Obviously, I qualified for Nigeria with my father, and then my mum's grandparents were French Canadian, so <laughs> it was like. So it was kind of mad. So the first call up I was from Terry Yorath at Wales and he, he sort of called and I was like, oh, do you know what, Terry? I, I, do you know what? I just, I, I want to play for England, but leave it with me. But obviously, because um, I'd played in Wales and played for Swansea, I yeah. came there, but I was just like, oh. and then Nigeria came calling, I sent a delegation over and I said, again, I said, look, oh, do you know what? I just, I want to play for England. You know, that, that, yeah, it's, that's it. And, uh, I sort of went in Steve Coppel and I said, look, Gaffer, there's been a few um, inquiries. I've had a couple of people ask me to play. And he said, well, what do you want to do? I said, well, I'm going to play for England. It's just England's in my heart. And that's it. And he went, yeah. well, good enough. So just wait. And I get out. 
<laughs> so, so, <laughs> and, I was, and I was like, okay, you know, Steve was very, didn't have a lot to say, but he was, he was great. <laughs> so he didn't, he didn't, um, it wasn't a chit chatter like Ron Atkinson, but so I just thought I'll wait for England. And, you know, six months later, I got the call up, you know, Graham Taylor. I was actually just mowing the grass outside and the, and the girlfriend at the time sort of said, oh, John, um, the England manager's on the phone. And I was like, yeah, come on, Shawzy, is that, <laughs> is that Coleman? Is that, yeah, is that the lad's messing around? So I was like, yeah, come on, Shawzy. And it's like, no, uh, John, it's Graham Taylor. I just wanted to tell you before it's announced that I uh, select you for the um, Australasia tour. And I was like, I just didn't, I don't know what to say. I couldn't speak. He was just like, thank you. And um, put the phone down. That was it. Um, that was a conversation I was just like then I went and switched teletext on I don't know it's showing my age and no it's alright I remember teletext I like, like, on and, I, and I took a picture of the, of the screen it, I, I was like I can't believe it I was just sat there all day just looking at it going you've got to be kidding me Brilliant. come on let's do this so yeah that was um, so yeah you know went and played you know the Australia, Australia tour was, Australia tour was brilliant and um, came back and played against the unified German team which was the pinnacle of Wembley England and then yeah the injuries came unfortunately uh, I was I, I was going to go out to, to sign for Bari um, you know the European championships around the corner um, and yeah the knee went so that was just hell got back in the squad a couple of times in between and then it went again um, and you know it's just it, yeah life was never the same again and I don't think I was I was ever the same uh, player ever again and you talk about the pace the dynamism the the you know the twisting and turning the, the the just the um the strength of body um wasn't quite the same but you know you work away um and yeah persevered to 36 so mm. that was uh yeah that was a very special time and that, that'll always be you know my caps and um are oh, just priceless i've still got a couple of the shirts which are kept, you know, given so many away, I just sort of stopped myself at some stage. <laughs> well, how many have I got left? You know, sort of. Um, so yeah, the FA Cup shirts, the the um, yeah, the England shirts, um, my Thierry Henry shirt, my gig shirt. Incredible. Um, yeah, pride of place, really. <laughs> yeah, some great great memories. Um, let's move on and talk about your time at Coventry. Um, you made the move in 1995. Um, talk us through how that came about, John. Yeah, do you know what? As I say, I went, um, I kept, Keegan came in to sign me. Uh, I think there was Wranglins. He wanted to sign Junilla. Um, uh, and they were, and Kevin, being Kevin, was just like, oh, I'll go and get, I'll go and get John. So he tried to sign me, but in the end, I think he was, uh, he was obviously, you know, they said, no, we're going to sign Junilla. And I had to go back. And so I went back, and next minute the phone rang, and, you know, my agent said, Coventry wants to sign you. I said, yeah, great, let's go and talk to Ron. Spoke to Big Ron Atkinson and, you know, I just thought, brilliant. You know, I want to play for him. He's a great charismatic uh, manager, had good ambitions and, um, you know, had a good feel to it. So I thought, yeah, let's do this. And, you know, it's brilliant, you know, going down to Wrighton and, and walking his dress room with, you know, sort of your Dion Dublins, Peter Unlove, uh, Grizoviches and Brian Burrows, David Burrows and all those kind of players. And, and they were signing players as well, you know, signing Brazilian players, um, Isaias and, you know, Ian Jess. And, yeah. you know, it was just a, you know, Darren Huckabee, Noel Whelan. Yeah, some great you know, players. It was, well. it, was, it was a real good dress room that I fitted straight into. You know, mm. Noel Whelan was a brilliant character. I got on so well with him. 
um, you know, Darren Huckabee, great character. We had, you know, we had fun, we had a laugh and, and, you know, we stayed up for three years as well. You know, every year we, we were in that relegation battle. Yeah, of course. I thought, um, you know, Brian Richardson, the, the chairman's fantastic. He's come down. What a lovely guy, lovely family. But he bought three or four players every season, brought in fresh faces. I think Paul Williams came in. And, you know, he there'd always be arrivals. You know, we freshened it up. You know, Botang came in, I think. Yeah. Uh, we ended up going, you know, we seemed to be a feeder club for Villa. Um, <laughs> so, you know, Villa. <laughs> Boateng and you know Roland Nilsson what a yeah, right. oh my god he was I mean but you're talking about you had a great mix of some fantastic talent and some brilliant professionals you know Roland Nilsson Grizovic you know Brian Burroughs just incredible professionals and then obviously Gary McAllister came who's arguably one of the best players if not the best player I played with actually yeah. one club you know and at the end of his career when I thought he was and then he went on to Liverpool and won five trophies you know <laughs> You know, it was it it was just amazing. Um, you know, it was a really nice time because it's a real family club. Um, everyone was just down to earth. You know, there wasn't a lot of money. The training ground was small. You know, we, you know, there wasn't really too much airs and graces and too much you know fanfare there. It was just it was so really nice. And you know, Leamington and and Kenilworth are beautiful places. Warwick. Uh, wonderful places, you know, sort of living in around there and, and yeah. spending time. It's a lovely part of the world to to live in. You know, and Coventry's, a, you know, it's, a, it's devastating to see what's happened to Coventry mm. and the way the Rico thing hasn't worked out and then going to Northampton and then now having to share with Birmingham. It's just, yes. you know, I don't know what you, you know, you, what more could you put a set of fans through? And obviously at the weekend, Birmingham have lost 2-0 and, and ready, you know, sorry, Coventry lost as well. And, they, you know, their Coventry just just look like I think going to have enough um, Birmingham struggling. So it's not, you know, that Midlands. I remember the Midlands was just so vibrant. Coventry mm. going to Birmingham and playing West Brom, Wolves. Yeah, you know, it just, division. Yeah, it's good. And although you know, sort of West Brom and um, Wolves were in the, in the big flight, it's, it's just changed from when I was I I was playing. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely changed a hell of a lot. Um, and someone else we wanted to talk about was Ron Atkinson. Obviously, you were signed by him. Um, we've had a few um, ex-players on, and we've heard some really good stories and some quite funny stories about Ron. Um, so just wanted to get your take on him, really, as a character, and if you've got any kind of memories of him and some perhaps some funny stories. Yeah, so, do you know what? I think Ron will get a, has got a bad um, rap. Because, you know, the one thing Ron isn't, is in any way racist. And I think in any way, um, he's a beautiful, brilliant, funny football man. Um, he's just a larger than life character that grew up in a very big, brash era, he managed Man United, you know, was, you know, he's just a great character. And, um, you know, I loved Ron. Ron was brilliant. You know, mm. when I signed, went to the house, he got some pink Lauren Perrier champagne <laughs> out, you know, he's just brilliant. like, I, I, I just won half a glass for me, you know, just half a glass. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it, it was fantastic, you know, even in the negotiations, you know, it just, and, you know, I had to spend a little bit of time around him. He was infectious and I was happy to sign for him. So it wasn't difficult. And, um, you know, the lads actually loved him, didn't coach. I had, you know, he had um, Gary Pendry and, and obviously and um, Gordon Strachan doing the coaching and, you know, but he was a man, man, a man manager. You know, he got round you and he made you feel ten feet tall, and he made you want to go out there. Mm, you know, yeah. sort of like the theme talk would be. You know, we're playing Liverpool. He'd go to the hotel and he'd be like, McManaman wouldn't have him, Redknapp wouldn't have him, Fowler wouldn't have him. I wouldn't. 
you know, he'd be like, I wouldn't swap any of you for any other. <laughs> and we'd know he was, you know, it was BS. But he made you feel that. He made you think that. He made you feel like, yeah, you could win. And you were as good as that. And we, we generally would have got on the coach after that game, or after that team talk. We sat on the coach with Noel Whelan and Darren Huckabee and Shawzy. And, and we, we'd be going there thinking, we're going to win. And that yeah. And we did beat some teams and we did stay up and we did, you know, we did, we did okay. We did well. And, um, you know, so Ron, Ron was fantastic. I, you know, it was disappointing when after the first year he, he stepped down and, and Gordon took over. Uh, yeah, Gordon was very different, very much a disciplinarian, very much a, you know, work, you know, not really a, you know, obviously not a, a personality, uh, but just a great football man, just wanted mm. to to work hard it was you know two sessions a day attention to detail he was you know he arguably he was everything Ron wasn't and he was the new school he was the next next generation of manager that yeah. uh, obviously saw and thought actually he's the one that, that needs to and, you know you know and it works you know we we did you know went on and obviously Robbie Keane and, and Haji and you know the, the players that came after I went down to Fulham with Kevin Keegan and um you know, it was a shame, really. I, you know, sort of picked up an injury, and it was a bit weird the way I left. And you know, because I think I sort of fell out because Gordon offered me a contract, and I sort of said, "Well, it was really weird." You know, I look back at that because he offered me a contract, but what he wanted to do because I'd, I'd had some injuries and I'd had a couple of niggly injuries, yeah. And he sort of wanted to build my contract more, more appearance money. And I said to him generally, "Just give me a little bit more in my wages and and a little bit less." It wasn't a lot. Talking about a couple of grand. I mean, the money they talk about now. Yeah, you know, it it was kind of like, and that was it. And he said, "Well, no, that's it. You know, I'm going to give you that wages, and that is appearance money, and that's what it is." And it kind of just, it was that stupid little. And I sort of went away and went, "Well, no, I doesn't don't, work for me." You yeah. give me that, and then we both, you know, he was stubborn. I mean, he was stubborn. He was, you know, very very strong character. And you know, I ended up just sort of seeing my contract out and leaving. And um, you sort of go back and think. It wouldn't have taken much, just real discussion and, you know. To have got that sorted. Yeah, to have got that sorted. So that, that, was, a, that was a big regret. At the time, John, who was who you personally like really close with in the squad? I know you said it was a really good group of, of lads, but is there anyone that you were, you know, particularly you were close to? Well, again, I mean, obviously, Shawzy. Yeah. I, I, was, I, I got on like a house on fire with Peter, Peter in love. Loved yeah. Peter in love. I just loved uh, little Nuddy, we called Nuddy. <laughs> yeah. He was brilliant. He was um, he was a little um, to be fair. I mean, sort of divulging a little bit. I mean, Peter was a little party animal. He, <laughs> he was arguably the most talented player I played with. Um, he was just sensational. He was a great effervescent character. Um, brilliant, brilliant talent. Great player. Loved his football, but. You know, he loved going out, you know, Saturday night, and be like, come on, come on, Sal, we're out, let's go. And he'll be, <laughs> you know, it, 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 really, it was like, no, I mean, to be honest, I mean, Noel and Nuddy were dangerous, really. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, they were great characters. Noel and, and uh, Peter in love were my, you know, were my sort of pals that, um, and then you had Paul Telfer, great, great character. So most of the time, I think, yeah, it'd be me, Noel, Telfer. Uh, Nuddy and, and Shawzy. 
Sounds like a good a good yeah. uh, a good uh, day or evening out. Yeah, if you were going down to that, what was that? Was it the Bel Air down at that uh, at the Belf- Belfry? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> on a Monday night, trying to you know, we shouldn't have been, but uh, yeah, no, it was uh, you know obviously if we had days off in the week and uh, you know, yeah, good days, good days. They were they were good lads, but you know it was such a fantastic restaurant with uh, David Burrows, Brian Burrows, and you had the older group, you know. Grizovich, Brian Burris, and um, Kevin Richardson. Of course. And what a player he was. You had the, yeah, you had the older guys. And then you had people like Magnus Hedman, the goalkeeper. And, um, you know, you had Roland Nielsen, some of the senior players. And then you had that young uh, group, yeah, as I say, me, Noel, Huck, Nerdy, uh, and then Dion as well in that. And uh, he was a, you know, big character. And then obviously McAllister was captain, you know, club captain. And, you know, he was uh, more of the older, older group, and <coughs> so sort of Eon Chess at the time. What a lovely lad he was. Mm. Um, he was another lovely guy. So there, there was a really nice dresser, room. Ma- Michael O'Neill, who's uh, course, yeah, yeah. to be you know Northern Ireland manager and now at Stoke. Uh, what yeah. a great lad! I'm very different. I mean, again, he was a bright lad. He was a nice lad. You know, it's a really good group. I mean, yeah. you know, in there. there's so many people, so many characters. Uh, Paul Williams, so Paul Williams would have come into that group. He was part of that group that, you know, we would, you know, all go out and have a couple of beers together, um, terrorise Stratford or Kenilworth, Leamington or <laughs> Coventry. <laughs> Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, We understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. And that, um, John, that first season you had at Coventry, I think you played almost every game, didn't you, in the the Premier League? Um, some of the highlights were there was a 5-0 win against Blackburn. We beat Liverpool and Chelsea 1-0 at home. So a, a really good season, uh, with, you know, as your first year at Coventry. Um, what were some of the memories for you? Yeah, again, those, you know, I see some of those highlights. I see some of those goals. Um, you know, I just, do you know what? I can remember just um, playing a game. Um, I forget whether it was Liverpool, whether it was um, Chelsea. And um, I think I stuck one on Dion's head and, and Dion, we won 2-1, I think. And mm. I remember Brian Richardson coming down into the dressing room and it was just, do you know what? And, and it was just one of those times, just really nice. It was just lovely to have won a game and everyone was really happy and, and it was really, and that, actually that might have been one of, I can't remember if that was under, I think that might have been under Gordon Strachan, you know, but um, it was just such a, a warm club and a warm dressing room and a warm you know just a lovely team to be to be involved with um but we had some great days at Highfall Road you know we we were just I think it was one of those places where people just didn't want to come because it it wasn't you know salubrious it was the dressing was okay you know the pitch was 
decent. Uh, it was okay, you know, sort of good crowd. But, you know, it was a tough place to come because you knew that, you know, we had good players and, and we were up for a game. We'd give yeah. you a game. So I don't think anyone ever, ever came and really um, took the piss out of us. Mm. But, uh, you know, but we knew we had to, we had to work hard. And, um, you know, if our, our, our top players performed, we would yeah. have a good chance to win it. So it was a good classic, you know, for myself, uh, you know, up and down. Uh, you know, get back, defend, and get forward, and try and get crosses in, and try and try and chip in with goals. So, yeah. you know, it was it was it was it was very enjoyable, but it was a very similar role to to what I had at Palace. Mm, sure. Yeah, I was going to say on on Highfield Road, we we reminisce a lot on the podcast about you know memories from Highfield Road and, and how much we miss it really, especially when you know you, you mention all the the issues we have now. Um, I think there was always a special atmosphere there, wasn't there? And as a player, did that sort of transfer onto the pitch? No, absolutely. No, absolutely. Do you know what I loved? I loved coming down. You go down the A46 and come in, and you, you know, we would come to the ground and park and walk up, and you'd walk through the ground. Was like, you know, we used to park and then walk through the ground, and you'd see the pitch, and you know, see everything starting to happen. And that was where it was magical. That's the magical part of being a pro player. You know, you sort of get there, and you're like, you know, you're getting ready. So now, three quarters before the game, you know, stewards are getting organised. His pitch is there. You know, groundsman just last few touches, and the crowd are just coming in, and then starts building up, and you come out for the warm up, and then it's yeah, let's go, let, let yeah, let's go to war, and it, it was lovely. You came through the tunnel, it, yeah. Highfield Road was special, um, but it had a lot of memories as well because you know I would have seen you know obviously from afar, I would have played there and watched you know games there, so you knew what Coventry were about, and yeah. um, you, you know it had that history of of a real family, a real tight knit club. It wasn't one of, you know, a, you know, a big, big club that, you know, pop, you know, the win. I still, you know, sometimes when I came back with Sky and obviously come back to look out, you got Benno, you know, reminiscing on his FA Cup yeah. win. <laughs> now, I, I lived down the road from Sutton, which was one of the classic moments when Cov lost to Sutton as well. So, you know, Cov sort of hit, hit a lot of headlines at, at, at times, but, it was sort of a, you know, a, a really, a big club, but not ever sort of stepped in. A bit like, a, you know, maybe a Norwich or, a, you know, it's one of those clubs that threatened to sort of break through, but never really did. But I think one, we were under no illusion that um, with the money and the, and the, the you know, the budget and, and the size of the club, we were just, you know, we were delighted to, to be in the Premier League. And, and you know, that, that's what we played to. Yeah. And you've talked a lot about the, the talent that was in the team around the time you played, you know, the likes of Dublin, Huckabee, Whelan. Um, not Whelan, someone that we've talked about quite a lot on the, the podcast. Um, you know, we all agree he was a really talented player, but perhaps could have gone on to bigger things and, you know, possibly should have played for England. Yeah. Do you know what? Noel was so talented. Um, I always say, do you know what? It's really weird. Um, you know, Noel, and I always know when a player's incredibly talented is when they can turn it on and off a little bit and um Noel just never really I think to a certain extent and and perhaps not you know Noel you get the players that are very talented but just wasn't really dedicated enough didn't really take himself to that level um of preparation and looking after himself and, and really pushing himself in training you know when I look back really you know when you look at a role in Nielsen we you know you go in the in that little gym and you'd see people doing that extra. I mean, Paul Telfer was incredible. 
you know, and, and Noel just never really embraced the sports science or, you know, I think he always thought his natural ability would, would get him through. Mm. Um, and I think really to have achieved and to get the best out of himself. Um, and I'd like to think he'd say that. I mean, I still speak to Noel now, you know, he rings me for his, he does Leeds radio and he does a few bits and I love him. And, it, and it's a shame really that, you know, we sort of lose touch with each other and, and don't see each other and love Noel to bits. But I would assume, I, I thought he would have gone on to, to um, a, a big illustrious career, really. Um, but I would have said maybe, yeah, I don't know, um, in his head of, of just, uh, and when you look back as an old, you know, when, when you get old and it's all finished and you look back and, you, you know, you kind of go, oh, do you know what? But it's, you know what, you, you know what you know and you do what you think's right at the time. At the I don't, time, you know, yeah. No, yeah, no one ever does anything at the time thinking, oh, this is doing me harm and this is not good for me. And you go, oh, well, I'm going to do it anyway. It doesn't happen like that. And I think it's easy to get in a comfort zone and to, to maybe just enjoy it a little bit too much and not, not really focus. And, and, and that, that's really the key, even for, you know, the, the kids now, especially when they're getting so much money and so much attention so early and it's easy to lose your way and, and to really just not fulfill that talent and that. So it does nothing changes like that. Do you think there's more around that now, though, or do you do you think it's it's still not really moved on that much or changed? You know, around especially the money involved now. But do do you think that there's perhaps a bit more more avenues or more support off the pitch for for different uh, clubs these these days? It's worse, really. Think, you know, it's it's what what you've got is you've got a crazy world of. Um, I don't get it. Um, it's it's the most disjointed thing in the world i mean the, everyone's different you know you got the you got the fa you got the premier league you got the football league you got the pfa yeah they're all different bodies yeah and, and what is going on with agents by the way agents are a disgrace they're a law unto themselves it's the wild west yeah. there is no union there is no togetherness there is no united front and there is no one really helping footballers they yeah. are basically a commodity that used and abused and discarded and it's interesting you say because obviously you you mentioned about what you know a really great um atmosphere in the dressing room and how close you all were and like you say an an odd drink here and there you know on on your days off and stuff but maybe back in the day that that was helpful because you're all sort of supporting each other whereas i suppose these days a lot of time i suppose it's they can always go their separate ways a little bit um whereas that that sort of family club community that you said you had at Coventry possibly helped that off the pitch a bit more yeah it's, it's kind of crazy oh Tom anyway that um you, you're in individuals playing in a team game um yeah looking after themselves but back then we were we did look after each other we did enjoy playing with each other we did talk to each other we did spend time and what it was people like Ron would say go out for a beer go yeah. and have a, go and talk to each other that was old school because otherwise you didn't really, you got to get to know each other and get to like each other. Who's your, who, who, you know, talk about your kids, talk about your family. What, you know, a bit more than just turn up, train. Like now, I mean, you know, when, when I was first team coach at Palace, um, it, 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 I hadn't been in the dressing room for about 15 years and I, I just thought, wow. They all come in with their headphones on, don't speak to each other. They don't know each other, don't care about each other. They come in in these big flash cars, and all they want to do is just do as little as possible and go. 
they don't want to try, you know, as a coach, you go, do you want to go and look at your clips? Do you want to go and look at this? Do you want to do extra? Do you want to do some, is there anything you want work on? No, I'm all right. I'm going home. I've got, you know, it's, it's like, wow. Mm. Like there's no, there's no love of football. There's no, there's no real, how do I improve? What do I do? And there's so many tools, as you probably say, there's, there's lots of tools, but there's all these people around them saying, you're great. You're wonderful. Get your move. They're not interested in clubs. They don't love clubs anymore. Yeah, no, you know, of all about how much money can I get? What's my contract? They don't care about their teammates. They don't even talk to their teammates. Half of them speak French, half of them speak something else, half of them speak this. You know, and it's kind of like you've got the young guys, you've got the older guys. It's like, whoa, it's 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 just got shockingly worse. And it's mercenary. It is a it is it, it is mercenary. People yeah. are just like the Premier League is the epitome of it, where we're we're paying you know you just come if it works out great if it doesn't i'll move on i'll take the money and i'll go and the, the you know the agents i don't know what you know it just it makes no sense to me i'm so frustrated with it all obviously gordon taylor stepping down now and um you know a, a 40 year era god knows yeah. someone who appoints a committee that appoints him who appoints the committee he's like whoa what how did that happen and where is anything that happens within football? So, but football is so disjointed. It's one of those elephants in the room where it's our biggest export around the world, but it is an absolute powder keg. It is like, it's just weird the way it's run and what happens with, with football. It, it's kind of crazy, but it's almost like keep them divided and never let them unify. But I think if it was done properly, I think they were always scared about footballers sort of um, going out on strike. Well, footballers couldn't really do that. I think you just tie that up um, and make sure that doesn't happen. But you know, it's just it's just inexplicable in a way the, the setup and the way it's run and, and how football is allowed to just run behind the scenes in this wild west manner. The yeah, you know, no. players players just aren't. There is no support mechanism properly for players. You know, I think there was a little bit that was addressed about certain players getting. You know, players coming into academies at six eight now and then they yeah. get at 16 and you know they were they never play football again like 60 percent of them never played again you know some of them want to kill themselves you know some of them where do they then up in jail where do they go where, where's the education where's the pathway where where is the transition into real reality of life yeah you know, no. like, okay come in you know one percent you're gonna make it but you know yeah you know the other 99 percent um yeah see you later you're listening to Sky Blues Extra. Just moving back to um, your your career, John, and, and when you sort of left Coventry, you mentioned there a little bit about obviously it was probably contract stuff that was 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 probably why why, why you left. Um, but yeah, you went on to play with a couple of other teams, um, a lot of London clubs: Charlton, Reading, Fulham. Um, tell us a little bit about that transition what it was like moving away from Coventry and and then obviously joining those other clubs yeah as I say it was a weird time because I had a couple of kids um, while I was at um, in Kenilworth um, and it was really weird because we were kind of settled there um, yeah and it was really disappointing. And I got an offer from Kevin Keegan to go down to Fulham so I ended up um, going down to Fulham um, which again that was league one um, with Kevin, that was kind of crazy, crazy, you know, really nice club on the way, uh, wanting to rebuild under Mohamed Al-Fayed. 
Um, yeah, of course. And then, you know, Kevin ended up going to manage England. Uh, Paul Bracewell took over. Paul came in and said, look, you know, you're not part of my plans. You, you know, so rang Kerbishly at Charlton because they had young children. I thought, oh, do you know what, we, we just don't want to travel around. You know, I don't really want to uproot again. Well, yeah. No, it's it's interesting because we we spoke to a lot of players, and that is, you know, you don't realise sometimes the strain, don't you? On where, if you, you know, one day you're in Coventry, then the next you could be talking to a club in Scotland or yeah. Southampton. It's it's tough, isn't it, on the the family to be keep moving around and. Yeah, I don't I don't think people realise. I mean, to be honest, I mean, I just, you know, you look at when I was at Palace, Johan Kabai, you know, they they come and they, their family don't come with them. Yeah. You know, they're sort of saying, you, you know, go and sort it out. Who's sorting out? Who's, you know, you don't even know who's doing the logistics of the move and who, you know, is there an interpreter? Can we, where do we go to schools? No one, because the agents just, you know, there's a French agent, an English agent, all of a sudden, Johan Kabai, you're playing at PSG, next minute you're playing for Crystal Palace and you're thinking everything's sorted and, it's not. He's in a yeah. hotel and they're thinking, well, where, where are we going to live? What are we going to do? Well, I'll go and suss it out. I'll go. It's crazy. So at that time, we had a couple of young kids and she's like, oh, I don't really want to move. So said to my agent, I, just, I want to stay in London for care and spoke to Kerbishley. He said, yeah, brilliant. Come down. Uh, do you know what? It was amazing, really, because at the time I spoke to Alan Kerbishley. He said, look, I've got John Robinson and Sean Newton on the right, John on the left, and, and they need a bit of competition. And I think you're just the person to do it, you know, um, I said, yeah, great. I'm up for that challenge. Um, they just come down uh, from the from the Premier League, and um, you know, for the next, you know, for that season, John John Robinson and Sean Newton were sensational. Um, they went yeah. on to be sensational for the next god five years. You know, and you know, I played a few games, and but you know, we we finished eighth. I think that season. Signed a lot of really good players, but there was a nucleus of, of um, Richard Rufus, Kinsella, Scotty Parker, Chrissy Powell, um, you know, Andy Hunt and, and people like Klaus Jensen and then Sean Bartlett came. And it was a really nice time, but I just didn't play and as much as I would have loved to have played. And But we were very successful and, it, and the team was doing really well. Um, and in the end... Um, you know, I got a knock on the door from Alan Pardew saying, listen, do you want to come and have, a f- you know, a few games at Reading? Yeah. Um, and I said, yeah. So I went on loan there for three months and then ended up signing for Reading and then had a lovely time there again. Another real, that's a really nice, very similar to Cov family club. So John Medeski very similar. Brian, yeah. was, um, you know, just, you know, and, and signed a few players and they did really well with signing. Uh, you know, when I went there, you had Phil Parkinson was club captain and, and really, Graham Murty was very similar to a Paul Telfer, you know, very good pros, very good players. Um, you know, Nicky Shorey, God, yeah, Nicky Forster and, and, and those kind of players. But, you know, it was a really good dressing room, really good, good times, got promotion and then, you know, sort of bounced on and bounced on again. So um, that was a lovely time. And then obviously I had the one year with uh, Martin Allen at Brentford. Of course. Uh, <laughs> Which was which was kind of crazy because it, it's really weird because Pard I can remember when I was at Reading and, and Pards went to manage West Ham and he left and Stevie Coppel came and Stevie Coppel was like my you know if anyone could come it was like the coming I was like oh my god Stevie Coppel brilliant and the first thing Steve had to do was in that in that in that season that Steve came I had a clause in my contract that said because I was coming from the Premier League to sign for a for a league one club in Reading. Um, yeah. And one of the reasons I signed was I just thought, you know, 
I could go and play and they could see me. I just had this thing about 36 in my head. I just sort of roughly knew. I thought, if I can push it to 36, that'll do me. Um, but what I ended up doing was they said, in, in my last year at Reading, if I played 25 games or more, it triggered a, 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 another year on the same money and everything. So it, it sort of gave me a carrot. So if I basically, if I was playing... <laughs> it, so the first thing Steve Coppel had to do was I was on 24 games, right? Steve calls me in and says, yeah, you're not going to make 25 games unless you take that clause out. We've like got a lot of stuff going on and we're revamping and we're changing everything. And, and to be fair, John, what I'm going to say is, look, let's just go take it out. And I was on good appearance money as well. Yeah. The contracts were structured. So, the and I, you know, it was really disappointing. But I thought, oh, do you know what? Okay. Don't like it, but I'm going to do to, it. To me as a fan, I, I, I hear this and I just find it so bizarre that players even sometimes when they're the best one of the best players in the club sometimes are not able to play because of these appearance fees or goal bonuses or you know when when finances change and go south like yeah. it, to me it's so bizarre but it's a part part and parcel of the game as you're explaining that's just yes the politics of the game and um you know the first thing steve had to do was it was cutthroat it was ruthless it was um you know i even said listen you know i was looking at I'd done my, I was doing my coaching badges with Brendan Rogers and um, Brian McDermott. I uh, was progressing to my UEFA and I was like, well, you know, I can go and work with the reserves and, you know, start doing this. And, you know, even with Steve, I was like, you need some friends, you need some allies. I can start coming on the coaching side. You know, there's loads to do. And Steve was very cold. You know, Steve was very cold about, you know, well, we've got a template. We've got an outline of what, what we're looking to build and do. And, um, you know, that was, well, okay. Um, but that's just football. Um, yeah, of course. Really, um, no friends in this game. <laughs> it really is just, you know, dog eat dog. So um, we play that. So I think we ended up, I think what Steve actually said was if we make the playoffs, I think, you know, you'll definitely get a contract. And we ended up finishing ninth um, and uh, didn't get a contract. So I was actually going to come back to Cov under Peter Reid. And it's a funny and it's a funny story because Peter rang me um, and said, I want you to come up. And I was like, yeah, I'd love to. And I was actually in the car and I was just about to get onto the M40. And <laughs> Pete, I was going to, and Pete, Pete rings me and says, look, I've, I'm signing this goalkeeper and I've got to sign someone else. I've got to jiggle my finances around, but listen, just bear with me. I'll come back to you. And, uh, well, of course, you know, he, he obviously signed a couple of players and he rang me a couple of days late and said, look, it's not going to happen. I've used up my budget and it's not going to happen. And I was like, oh, devastated, really. Um, Is that something you would have wanted to do at that time? Absolutely. No, yeah. absolutely brilliant. Because I'd, I'd spoken to Richard and, I'd, you know, I'd said, look, I'd love to come back up. And, and the things I realised as well, I think from, from being at Reading, it actually, do you know what? I could have come up. I'd stay up whenever I need to. It was yeah. an hour and a half commute, go back home. So it was no major drama to, to sort of have, have a place up, 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 uh, you know, Leamington or, or Kenilworth. Of yeah. And my sister lives in Kenilworth. Um, you know, obviously Shawsey was in Banbury. Um, and it's not, you know, the M40 is great as well. So you can always get up, um, 
I don't miss the um, speeding tickets on there. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, we used to drive up to Highfield Road from down south and yeah, the M4, you can really turn it on. Up there. <laughs> Thank you. I remember having this um, big Peugeot because we were sponsored by Peugeot. I did big Peugeot. I remember getting stopped at 106 or something, losing my license. Or wow. Um, yeah, it, just, it, it was empty. You just ended up at 70, then it became 80, <laughs> then it became 90. And you were just like, well, I'm going to get there in an hour. You know, so it's like... Um, yeah, that was, that was, you know, at the time I just thought, oh, that, that would have, you know, coming up for a couple of years um, and sort of seeing everyone and, and rounding that off, that would have finished off my career perfectly um, to have done that. So yeah, that was, that was, you know, and I love Peter and Peter's a lovely guy. I still see him on the circuit and, um, you know, great character. Mm, uh, love yeah. to have played for Peter. So um, yeah. So, you know, again, when, Signed for Martin. Um, we got, well, I think we finished fourth in the league. Um, lost to Wolves, oh, sorry, Sheffield Wednesday in the playoffs, who were a good side then. And, um, you know, we had a great run in the FA Cup. I think we got to the fourth round. We beat Southampton. Um, what did we, yeah. So it was, it was a really good year, but um, I can remember sort of getting to the end of that year and Martin Allen sort of saying to me that, um, you know, John, look, I mean, it, was, it wasn't big money, but he sort of said, I can sign two or three players for what I'm paying you. I need to go younger. But look, I'd love to keep you around. But I just said, look, Martin, it's not a problem. Um, I've spoken to Sky anyway, and, and, you know, they're ready for me to get on board. And so, do you know what? I know, you know, sort of coming up against these youngsters in training and stuff like that. I was taking anti in flams to train. <laughs> oh, do you know what? Seriously, I need to, I need to stop now. So... That was it, 2005, just, um, yeah, picked up the Sky contract and signed that and um, mm. that was, was it. it. Did it help with the sort of transition? Because we, we hear quite a lot from footballers that when they retire, it kind of, there's that sort of void, isn't there? And, you know, missing going into the dressing room every day and, and things like that. Did it help, I guess, going straight into the media side of it? Did that sort of fill that void a little bit? It was massive. It was brilliant. It was perfect. Um do you know what? It was so good because it was it was still very, very familiar because obviously I was as much as I could have been working four or five days a week, I wasn't. I was I was pretty much doing, you know, I'd go in with Gillette with Jeff Stellin and, and Cammy on a Saturday. That must and, have been such a good laugh doing that as well. Yeah, do you know what? You don't you know, you don't see the guys, but you you know, every now and then like I started in the studio with with Jeff and um you know, then obviously I ended up going out on the road more mm. and doing sort of bits to camera and, you know, bits in the studio. So you might come in on a Sunday, do a Sunday game, you might do some EFL stuff on a Monday, on a Tuesday, you know, you might do the EFL show that we used to do with George Gavin or whoever it was. So very much you just had your schedule, they'd say, right, this is your schedule. You're in, you know, Saturday, you're doing the live game on, on Sunday in the studio, Monday, get down to Brentford and do an interview Tuesday night, get yourself to Blackburn. That wasn't good. I didn't enjoy the traffic. I was going to say, you must, what, do you just drive uh, everywhere? you just constantly on the road? Yeah. Do you know what? When we started out, you could get cars, you could get, you could get, you could get them to get you a car and you sit in the bag, read the papers. Oh, nice. Your have, a, yes. have a skip, have something to Sounds eat. Sounds amazing. Drink. And then they started going, well, we've got to cut the traveling budget. So we'd rather, <laughs> we'd rather you drove. And then they'd say, right, yeah, we'll give you a pound a mile if you drive. And Or, or they'd deliver you a car. Or obviously you could go by train. Yeah. I mean, you were doing um, 
if you're doing Newcastle or, or somewhere like that, you could fly. Um, yeah, of course. You know, some, you know. So that that wasn't actually. You know, I could go and do Newcastle. I could sort of fly out about eleven, get to the ground about one, um, quarter past one, and then you know, sort of rush back. The only thing is, the last flight was out at seven or something. So if you miss that flight, rush, yeah, yeah. So you you be back at you be back into London. You know, I could be back by half eight. You know, and and they've done Newcastle for Sky. So. It wasn't too bad, but sometimes, you know, Blackpool, you drive, you know, it was, it was, it was long, yeah. your Huddersfield, you, you know, but it was, it was what you did. And yeah. then you're the back in the studio on a Sunday. So it, it, it gave you, um, so you had to watch everything, read everything, look at everything. Yeah, of course. Uh, but, you know, it gave you an opportunity, you know, maybe Tuesday, Wednesday, you'd, you'd play some charities, a lot of charity golf days and, you know, catch up, you might go somewhere and watch training. Um, so it was nice. It was good. Um, but as you're saying, yeah, it did massively help with the transition because you weren't sort of just knocking around thinking, what am I going to do? Um, and, and, um, you know, how am I going to occupy my time? Because whatever you say, you know, for footballers, you know, all you got to do is know what to turn up in and when to turn up. So it's even in track suit and suit and, and, um, what time. And yeah. it's taken care of, you know, you've got ready made, ready made mates. You've got yeah. the best job in the world. You train. It's funny, isn't it, with the footballers? Because I, I can't remember what podcast I was listening to recently, but there was a player, I can't remember who it was, who'd retired and they um, they got a toothache or something and they didn't know what to do, you know? And they, they didn't have a clue about how to book a dentist or who to go and see or whatever. And it just kind of oh goes God, to show. Yeah. Yeah. You, got, you, got, yeah, you just go to your physio, you go to the yeah. doctor. You go, you go to the doc. I mean, everything's taken care of. Everything. I mean, I, you know, the worst one is really you, you know, you're sort of flying off on a on an away trip, and they sort of get you to bring your passport in a couple of days earlier because they can't trust you to bring your passport on the day. <laughs> you know, so they even take your passports off. You're just like tracksuit, pack some clothes. You're going away. Yeah, it's mad, isn't it? But the amount, yeah, it, it's crazy. I mean, it's such a brilliant. Um, experience and it, it was just so so brilliant you know getting paid to train and play football was just incredible you just pinch yourself think really yeah and that's why it's so frustrating when people do toss it on don't take it seriously and don't put everything into it but hey you know it you know there's so many people grafting hard to to try and make it um and try and 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 be and make it last as long as they can lower down it's just disappointing when you see you know at the top level you know, people just not abusing it and, and not really giving it their all. I mean, we're arguably got the most talented squad in the world right now, I think, of players. Mm. And I just think if we had the mentality and the, and the dedication, I think we would definitely, Gareth would win something with England. But yeah. it's very difficult. I mean, I'm not, I'm going to be the last person who, who tries to criticise or say to these lads, because when you're 22 and 23, 24, and you've got, you know, money and you've got fame and, you know, it's, it's not easy to deal with at that age and easiest thing to, to get the best out of yourselves. But, you know, I'd love to think at some stage it'd be brilliant that, uh, you know, Gareth could, we could get some success soon at oh. England level. Yeah, definitely. Well, the, the midfield's definitely taking shape, isn't it? Some real talent there. We've got some great youngsters, haven't we? Mm. Oh, so, um, yeah, anyway, I'm digressive. <laughs> They, the um, I don't know when it is, but the European Championships. Uh, I think we've got a great chance. So, good luck to the boys and Gareth. Um, but yeah, hopefully see you know Cov. It's great to see Cov back in the Championship. It's incredible. Um, and uh, you know by hook or by crook, you know we 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 
stay clear this year and then crack on next year and just build and build and build under, you know, Mark's done an incredible job. And, um, yeah, you know, it could be, uh, could uh, hopefully not in the distant future see um, Cov back in the big yeah, time nice. with the run ground and playing in the in the big time. Yeah, that'd be good, wouldn't it? Do you, do you follow it still quite closely, John? I don't get a chance that much. I mean, there's some great people in around the club. Um, Sarah Jackson, she's she's incredible. The players' legend. Oh, she, you know, I came I came up and played a golf day, and I came up and did the radio um, a year ago or something. Probably, you know, probably two three years ago now with COVID lockdown. Mm. Um, yeah, I'd love to do that. I wanted to, you know, I'd love to get back up and do the radio, maybe catch up with some of the guys. I know they do different things, getting boys together like Noel, obviously, like you know, Hux. I'd love to 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 catch back up with Shawzy and Hux and. Whelan and, and you know, maybe Paul Paul Williams and and Dion and some of the guys that'd be great. But obviously, I I, I try and get in touch with Sarah. So if she, if we have a golf day um, or or the radio soon, but I, I just keep a keep a look from afar. Keep on the scores and that, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's always it's always good when Sis is doing well. You know, I just remember doing Sky at Northampton. It was heartbreaking, really, um, watching that and seeing that how low it fell but you know there's a very you know there's momentum and it's yeah it's, definitely right, think, so, and, the, and the fans have just been absolutely incredible i mean it's just beyond beyond they do a documentary one you know about what has gone on and how you know what the fans have been through and, and just coming up from from where we were you know that pinnacle and that you know having robbie Keane and 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 gordon strachan and and obviously going down to where it all fell to and and but you know the fans have stayed strong, so they, yeah, exactly. if anyone has that bit of success and, and something to go well, it's the Coventry fans. Yeah, no, exactly. Well, I think I think it's that that you know, especially for me, that sort of era where a lot of people you know fell in love with the club and it captured a lot of people's imagination, really. So I think you know that those brilliant players we had were were so important to generate the fan base we've got now. I think so, and yeah. hopefully, if the club can push on and stay up in the Championship, it you know the the younger fans coming through will hopefully see some success as well and. You know, we just continue to build, I guess. No, absolutely. Because it's a, it's a one-club city. And it's yeah, incredible. Exactly. So much potential. And so much generation around there. And when you see Leicester's and United and Forest and just in a hotbed and around a, a, a brilliant area of, you know, what Wolves are doing and obviously uh, West Brom, great club, Birmingham, big club. And, and it's just brilliant to, to, you know, be great. It'd just be great for, you know, get that ground, get that new stadium built and um, crack on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's all we've got time for this evening, John. It's been absolutely brilliant having you on the show to share your Skyview story with our listeners. Um, just wanted to say massive thanks for coming on, but mainly on behalf of all the fans, a big thank you for your commitment when wearing the Sky Blue shirt. Um, you know, we really loved watching you play. So it's been it's been great, really, just to, just to hear all your memories and, and, and some of your views on stuff, you know, off the pitch as well. It's, it's been really interesting. No, thank you. Um, thanks for having me on. I, I, you know, I love my time at the club. I, I love the club and, and the fans. I love the fans. And, you know, it, it's so brilliant. And thanks for all the support. And it's great sometimes just to, just to catch up and reminisce and it takes you back. So I, I just wish the club well and um, hope everything goes well from strength to strength and, and bless you all. And stay safe. Yeah, brilliant. Thanks, Paul, and uh, thanks for having me on. And yeah, brilliant. Cheers, John. And uh, listeners, don't forget to check out our partner, Shortland Horn, for the latest, latest properties across Coventry. And also make sure you join us live at full time after every Sky Blues match for our Sky Blues Extra Live. And as always, if you want to get involved in the conversation on any of our channels, just use the hashtag Sky Blues Extra Podcast. Mm-hmm.
Thanks for listening to the Sky Blues Extra podcast. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.